0: Today we're uh, celebrating the the second Sunday of Lent, and the second Sunday of Lent. It's, it's very interesting because during Lent, the Church um, changes its pace. In the first Sunday, the first Sunday, the other Sundays of the year, what you're hearing is the the readings are going through the Gospels, the different Gospels. So year one can be uh, Matthew, year two, Mark, and and then year three, Luke. It just goes like that, one, two, three, one, two, three. (coughs) The Gospel of John is used heavily throughout the year in all kinds of different feasts. But during Lent, the church um, begins to prepare us for Calvary and the resurrection. And so what what you have are readings, especially gospel readings that lead you to the final confrontation between good and evil. Uh, when Jesus confronts the possibility of his own um, torture and his own murder and resurrection. And, and by the way, I want you to notice that I use the word murder. I I don't know that too many, I think a lot of times we forget and, and not use the word murder, but we use the word killing, but actually, murder and killing are extremely different. And uh, the gospel, I mean, the, uh, even the Old Testament, when it says, you know, how we, you, are you so used to, thou shalt not kill, as one of the Ten Commandments, that's actually not a good translation. The translation is, thou shalt not murder. Uh, and murder is the act of killing an innocent human being. And um, that's exactly what happened with uh, the Lord. He was murdered um, on a cross. It was state-sponsored murder, sanctioned by society, but it was murder. Anyway, the church is preparing us for that, um, preparing us for the murder of Jesus. And <clears throat> yet last week, we had the, the temptations in the desert. Now what I want you to notice here is that the church began from the beginning <coughs> from the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, Jesus has a very focused understanding of where he's going. This is a man. I, I've been always amazed, by Jesus' focus on his mission throughout his life. It's, I've been always, I, 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 was, I was even thinking about doing a homily on what is your mission. Um, but I'd like to save that for another time. <clears throat> but think about this. From the time that, if, that Jesus was a little kid... Mm-hmm. We all, the only thing we have is the, um, a, a, the event when he was 12 years old. <coughs> By the way, I'm getting, um, my throat is, it's not sore, it's just, <coughs> I have, my, my speech gets bleh. Anyway, um, do you remember when he was 12 years old? when he was 12 years old, and I'm talking about his mission, his mother and, and, and Joseph are extremely worried about him. Where is he? Where is he? They finally find him three days later. And Jesus, and you know, one does not want to call the creator of the universe snotty. Um, but he was being a bit snotty, I, I think, when his mother says to him, um, what? Where have you been? Your father and I have been, been crazy looking for you. And Jesus, being a little snotty, I think, says, "Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business?" Now listen to that. From the but take the snotty comment away. Um, listen to that man. Let that boy. From the age of 12, Jesus is hyper focused on his life is not about him. His life is about his mission. He is about his father's business. And see, I, I, I find it that, that that should be a part of everybody's life. Your life should not be about you. Your life is about what your mission is. And it, it doesn't have to be anything grandiose. You don't have to be tremendous. You could be Your mission could be a good wife, a good husband, a, a good mother, father, a good teacher, a good whatever your mission is. But your life is not about you. Your life is about whatever your mission is. Now, fast forward, and why am I saying this during the the Feast of the Transfiguration. Because when Jesus steps up the mountain to um, be transfigured, and he was those three disciples, it's actually the initiation. The reason the church is giving us this reading on the second Sunday is because that is the formal beginning of his trek to go to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he knows what's going to happen to him there. He knows it. This is not a man who is going to be ambushed. There's a, you know, when you do an ambush, you are counting on the fact that your victim or your, your target of the ambush is not aware of what is about to happen to them are ambushed okay and you put a decoy and you then you come with stealth and you ambush the person Jesus when he finishes the transfiguration he comes down the mountain and that's when the scene occurs that he says now let us go to Jerusalem where I will be arrested I will be murdered and I will be I, I, and, and the Son of Man will rise in three days. Now, the apostles have no idea what the heck it means to rise from the dead. They don't get it yet. We get it because we've lived with it for a long time. Okay, but they did not get what What the heck is he talking about, right? And so at that, if you remember, this is when, Jesus, when Peter turns to Jesus and says, oh, Lord, may that not happen to you. May that not happen to you. And Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan, to, 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 uh, Peter, because Peter unconsciously, you know, because actually, Peter is actually just being normal, okay? Actually being normal. I, I, can't, I, I've said this several times before, but if I tell you that after Mass, I'm going to go to Target, and in the Target parking lot, I am going to be ambushed, I am going to be, taken into a car where I will be tortured and murdered, uh, you will say, at least most of you would say, oh, Father, don't go there. Okay? I think most of you would do that. Thank you. Uh, to those of you who wouldn't, I, I don't think you're going to get your wish. But anyway, um, so the whole issue is that this is the beginning. This period of Lent is to have us follow Jesus as he is making his way to Jerusalem. And notice, this is a man who's going to where he knows what's about to happen. I'm always amazed because what what I'm, I'm amazed about is the fact that Jesus orchestrates the whole thing. He orchestrates his... his do you remember when he, when he comes into Jerusalem? Not only is he coming into Jerusalem where he's going to be, you know... Um, He's going, to be, he's going to be taken to rest and killed. But at the, he sets up the Last Supper, and he knows what's going to happen the next day. He institutes the Eucharist, and he says, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body. This is my blood, which will be given up for you. And then, and, and then Jesus turns to Judas and says, oh, Judas, go do what you're supposed to do. And of course, none of the disciples know, but Jesus is even telling Judas to go do his job. And then, ask yourself, how did Judas know where to bring the soldiers? How did he know? You know why? Because whenever they were in Jerusalem, they would retire to that place after they finished their dinner. They, they, he went to the same place. Where the soldiers were going to come and get him, so this is not a man who is, you know, going to be ambushed. He is—he's putting himself out there. So we've really begun the trek towards Jesus's arrest, death, and resurrection. But here's one little part of the of the transfiguration that I want to—I want to focus on. I want to focus on. What what uh, it says in the gospel when the gospel uh, when the gospel writer excuse me the, the, well the gospel writer says to Jesus let me bring it up here um, when the gospel writer says to Jesus uh, I mean the, the gospel writer mentions what is being said from the cloud in heaven and that the what the God the Father says over the cloud, listen to this. He says, um, the gospel writer in the, in, the, in, the, in the cloud has God, Jesus reports that Jesus said, the cloud came over them, and this is what God says. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen. Then he says, listen to him. Now, that statement, just listen to him, grad me. Have you ever thought about what is the difference between the word hear and the word listen? Because you can hear without listening. Now, I don't know if you can listen without hearing, but you can hear without listening. Listen to how, and listen, to how the uh, Webster's Dictionary defines the word listen. To hear something with thoughtful consideration. To hear something with thoughtful consideration. Now, what, What came came to me quite a bit is how much do we really listen to Jesus? How much do we really listen? I, I think Catholics, particularly Catholics, pay a lot of attention to the Eucharist. But I think we pay a lot of attention to the Eucharist in terms of receiving Holy Communion, I don't think we pay as much attention to the part of listening to Jesus with thoughtful consideration. Now, that, that is something that I have come to after about 45 years in the priesthood. Uh, hear, hear me out. I think that this is a mistake that we have inherited. Here's what I mean by that. If you go back to the 15th century, no, the 16th century, when Luther nailed the 95 theses to the wall of, in, in the church in Wittenberg, that triggered the Reformation when in the Reformation... Luther and the Protestants began to reject anything but the Bible that triggered a total misunderstanding I think on both on both the Protestant side and the Catholic side here's what I mean by that the, the Protestants came to the point of saying no the only thing that we're going to believe is the Bible we're just going to listen to God's word. And then the Catholic Church went in trying to defend the Eucharist correctly. They needed to defend the celebration of the Eucharist and the real presence of God in the Eucharist, of Christ in the Eucharist. They correctly began to emphasize the Eucharist, the 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 uh, receiving of the tra- transfigured or the transubstantiated bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. But notice what they began by emphasizing the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. We inadvertently, and I believe this is inadvertently, de emphasized listening to the gospel, and listening to the word. Now, the reason I say that is because in my experience of being a priest and all the time that I was in the seminary, what is emphasized in Catholic, in Catholic uh, theology and in Catholic uh, uh, preaching is the real presence, and it should be. However, by emphasizing the real presence, do we ever de emphasize or not give as much emphasis to listening with attentive comprehension to the word of Jesus? Now, think about this. The Protestants, the Protestants went to the other side. They reject almost all the sacraments, and they don't even believe in the real presence of Jesus in the sacraments. They say they're attentive only to God's word. But I would challenge that most regular, not theologians, but Protestants, are focused on memorizing Bible verses. How many times have you met a Protestant who can quote you the Bible by a you know, chapter and verse, right? Can any of us Catholics do that? No, we can't, because we don't focus on that. But I would venture to say that if you ever questioned the typical Protestant, they listened, but they listened with memorization in mind, not with thoughtful comprehension of what they were saying, of what the gospel is saying. Because they have rejected the rest of tradition. So, the Protestant side, in my opinion, has listened closely to Jesus, but they've listened with a slightly superficial tone of memorizing Bible verses. Instead of listening with in-depth comprehension, they have listened to memorizing. They can spout chapter and verse. And that is not what Jesus meant by, or God meant by saying, listen to him. And then the Catholic side, we pay attention to the real presence, as we should, but we don't have as enough emphasis on the word. And trust me, folks, when I was in the seminary, when I was in the seminary, I would say that emphasis on the real presence is at least, 70, 80, 90%, 70, 80, 90%, 80% of what is given to us in terms of teaching. Understanding the, the gospel and preaching, and no, I wish, let me take that back. Preaching is not given that much attention. It's interesting because uh, you have, on the Protestant side, if you're a bad preacher, you don't get hired in any church. You don't. That's why we lose a lot of people to Protestant Christianity because at least many of their pastors can give good sermons. But they have nothing else to give. There's no sacraments there. But if you come to the Catholic side, you get the fullness of the sacraments. But which one of you would say to me, and I'm not including or excluding myself in any of these categories, which one of you would say to me that in Catholic churches we have very strong preaching. We don't! And the reason is that we don't pay a lot of attention to that side. We pay attention heavily to orthodoxy, correctly, but both sides had not, I would argue, need to listen better. So the the question that I have for you is this. I really believe, and I know, but studying, and I'm not going to give you all the the studies that I've done, everybody is listening to someone. Even people who say, even people who say, I don't listen to anybody, I make my own decisions. You know who they're listening to? The rest of society that's saying, I don't listen to anybody, I'm making my own decisions. Because that's very much in fad right now to be able to be independent and do what I want to do. So all you're doing is you're listening to those people. So the question that everybody is listening to somebody, who are you and I listening to? And whose word, and Jesus said this in John chapter 15, he says, if you hear me and my words stay a part of you, I will reside in you, and you in me. How much? How many of us listen with intention and comprehension, so that God's word may be a part of us? And how many of us de-emphasize that to give all the emphasis to the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, in the, in the transubstantiated bread and wine? My argument is, folks, in order for us to be whole Christians, Christ needs to be part of us, not only in receiving communion, but in listening with intense, an attempt to comprehend God's word, so that God's word stays a part of you. And literally, because when you're hearing God's word, what's happening to you is, when his word gets into your brain it begins to reformat the way that you think god's word when god's word gets inside of you it's it's if you could imagine uh, the opposite of a virus the what is, I don't there's no such thing where i guess but Imagine what a virus does. When a virus gets into you, it begins to take over your body and it begins to attack your body and it begins to kind of decompose your body in all kinds of different ways. But imagine now the opposite, but the same behavior making you better. That the Word of God gets inside of you and before you know it, your thinking is beginning to be totally reformatted. Because the word of God is alive, and when it gets inside of you, it begins to deconstruct or decompose all the wrong ideas you have about the priorities of life, and it begins to reformat you into the image and likeness of Jesus. And then on top of that, you have then the reception of the real presence in the Eucharist. And so you have the whole Jesus, the Jesus in his word and in the sacrament, being ingested in you, and in order for that to occur, it has to occur both, in word and in sacrament. He comes to us in word and in sacrament. And it is that total word and sacrament that begins to reformat you from the inside out, and I use the word reformat, by the way, because most of us these days are quite aware of what that what a computer does. You know, when you reformat a disk, or when you when you when you have to reinstall the system, it, that's that's an analogy to what has to happen inside of you. Jesus would use the analogy of unless you die, and are, and unless a seed dies and comes back to life, they cannot enter. They cannot you know, be transformed. Use the imagery of reformatting. That imagery means that somehow inside of you, yourself is not connected properly. That's what we call original sin, the sin at the origin. And original sin means that somehow the way that you are put together psychologically and spiritually is defective. And that defect needs to be torn apart, die, and reformatted and reconstructed in the image and likeness of Jesus. And that can only occur if if you allow his word and his presence in the Eucharist to get inside of you and to do the job. To do the job. The biggest horror that I have in Christianity yeah, in Catholicism especially, is that we so de-emphasize the word that it's all about a kind of a soupy piety of receiving communion, and then just a few minutes later, you pray a little bit, and then, okay, I'm done. I get this periodically when people say, people periodically ask me this question, which I find tremendously interesting. They say to me, Father, when we receive communion, how long does Jesus stay with us? (sighs) What? How long does Jesus stay with us? You know, I I know that because when I was growing up, I asked that question. And that question, I was told like five minutes I think that they were trying to tell me you have to sit down in the pew and kneel down and go, you know, re- really devout for at least five minutes or any, something like that. But the, the answer is Jesus never leaves you. That The presence of Christ is in you just as strongly 30 minutes, 2 hours, 24, 365 after you've received him. It's not like all of a sudden you receive communion and Jesus is right there and then he goes, and he leaves it away. You are a walking, talking, breathing tabernacle. And his word and his presence has to stay a part of you. And it has to reformat you from the inside out. And that has to be done both by word and sacrament. So I, I just want to, I'll close this out now. Um I, I just want us to, to take into account what are we who are we really listening to? Are we really listening to are we letting more culture and cultural expectations, TV TV morality, social acceptance? Are we letting that get inside of us much more than the word of Jesus? Do do we listen? how much time do you spend during the week listening not hearing listening with active intention to allow that to reformat your consideration how much are you spending time to listen to the lord and letting that be the primary voice that is guiding your life and your moral decisions how many time how much time and how much intensity does the word of Jesus have in terms of you listening to him? How much weight are you giving his? That's the the real issue. And that's the real issue during Lent in terms of paying attention. Please remember, folks, Lent is not about giving something up stupid. That's why in my Lenten homily I said, don't have a stupid Lent. A stupid Lent is when you give up coffee or chocolate or something like that, and then you come back at the end of Lent and you start drinking coffee and eating chocolate again. a, A smart Lent is when you take a serious understanding of what's going on inside of you and how are you doing in allowing yourself to listen to God's Word and to be influenced by the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And how much are you paying attention to that in order for it to reconstruct you, to reformat you from the inside out? That's the whole point. St. Paul would say it masterfully. St. Paul would say, you have to put on the mind of Christ. Your mind has to be totally transfigured into the mind of Jesus. Okay, I'll shut up.